Hi, everybody. My name is Karen Hartglass. You are listening to It's All About Food. I'm really glad you're here today. We have a lot of subjects to touch on. It's All About Food has been broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network since March of 2009. That's almost 14 years. And in 2009, the podcast was in its infancy. And I was fortunate to be one of the few that got started in this amazing format for transmitting information and for creating community. And I was talking about being vegan. And now in 2022, soon to be 2023, there are many podcasts about being vegan. And that's a good thing. I'm going to talk a little bit in a moment about more podcasts about being vegan. But first I want to bring on Gary DiMattei. Hi, Karen. It's really important, Gary, thank you for joining me, to have you here with me to have these conversations. Excellent. Well, I'm just really honored to be asked on. Well, I, I really appreciate your two cents because some of those two cents have a lot of value. And your perspective is really important as an artist because you see things a little differently than most people do. I do. I see things very differently. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about this podcast. It's all about food and Responsible Eating and Living, the nonprofit that produces this program. Yay for Responsible Eating and Living. Hooray. Now, Gary, you came up with this name and the acronym REAL and the acronym REAL, it hits me over and over how profound that name is. And I don't think I got it in the beginning. You didn't. But I got a lot of bumps on my head now because <laughs> I've hit myself over the head a lot about this name. And we've been talking a lot about reality recently and what is real. Exactly. You don't get reality very often, or at least... What you get is individual spins, mm -hmm. and we're all impacted by our culture and our socialization and our subjectivity. So what is real? Well, I think we live in a surreal world, and, and that's by design. And my spin on, on why we all need these distractions is because we don't want to face what we all have to face sooner or later, and that's the end of life. So we've manufactured a lot of distractions. We manufactured... I mean, we all walk around, and I'm not the first person to say it. A lot of people have said it. Said it. We all walk around suppressing mortality. And yeah, that's... That's the state of being. I mean, we're all in this existential crisis, and some of us deal with it differently than others. Suppressing and mortality and also, as a result, suppressing so many different experiences around us. Right. I mean, we all remember that first time we discovered that we weren't going to be around forever. I mean, when we were children, someone said, yeah, there's no Santa Claus, and by the way we're also all going to die. And everyone has their own experience with that. And then we do things 
to deal with that. We spend the rest of our lives either in a state of denial or in a state of acceptance or somewhere in between. I want to interject here just for a moment. Right. This is not a dark podcast. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is not a dark podcast. And I want to say just ahead of time that we're going to be offering all kinds of ideas to bring light to reality, to bring light, lightness, and joy. Right. And maybe distractions. But one of the things that we are about is food. And we are in denial about food, too how it gets to our plate. Do you know how your food gets on your plate? Do you know how it gets into your fast food restaurant? Or do you know how it it gets to your supermarket? I mean, that, there's no secret there. We, we talk about this all the time. So my point is, when you turn that light on, when you realize, okay, there is an end, how am I supposed to live my life? And a lot of people go use the four-letter word, love. Love mm. is the answer. All right, now some people say, Yeah, but there's more to life than love. And then you get into discussions of commerce, what's important in that world and how to live your life also needs to include making sure that you can provide for your families. A lot of reality. A lot of reality. But those realities are a given in this society. And so what we want are more distractions because we go to work. We provide for our families, and then we want to have fun. And so what does fun mean to you? Yeah, and people talk about having a balance. But I guess one of the things that I feel is important is I feel it's important to be real. I feel it's important to be living responsibly and eating responsibly. And I feel it's important to be truthful. Here's an example. I don't listen to many podcasts. But occasionally I do, somebody will like, say, oh, you have to listen to this, or sometimes I'm interested in a particular subject and I just feel like I need to see what other people are saying. I listened to a recent podcast of a colleague who promotes a vegan diet. They have a sponsor. And I was surprised because the commercial that I heard several times throughout the program was promoting humanely raised, animal welfare raised turkeys. I was struck almost violently by this sponsor promoting something that went against what the particular podcast was all about, which was living vegan. And at this moment, I want to share, this is why here at Responsible Eating and Living, who produces this podcast, it's all about food, we do not have sponsors. Exactly. We made it a point not to have sponsors for that very reason. For that very reason, we feel like we need to share the truth Obviously, the truth as we see it, I can't make it the truth for everyone, but it's my truth. It's your truth. We want to be real and we don't want to be influenced by this capitalistic temptation of financial support. Commerce, right? I mean, I use the word commerce. You use the word capitalism, but it's all about, for some folks, it's all about making sure that they can continue their podcast. So that means even if they have to sell out to something that they don't particularly believe in. And there's the irony there. And and life is full of ironies, right? Yes. And, and we had a discussion. Especially the way you say irony. And, and, and because- we, we, <laughs> we had a discussion about how to say irony. 
Some say irony and some say irony. And (laughs) And isn't that ironic? (laughs) So what I'm leading to, if you haven't followed the breadcrumbs here to where I'm going, those are gluten-free vegan breadcrumbs, by the way, is that it's the end of the year and responsible eating and living is having a fundraising drive and we would appreciate your support for what we do. That's all we're going to say about that. Well, basically, that's all we're going to say. You'll be getting a letter. If you're on our list, you'll get our email letter. But I just want you to know, if you're listening and you believe in what we do, we'd appreciate your support. Yes, and we aren't going to sell out our message to get a sponsor to talk to you now about... Animal welfare, humanely raised turkey. That's like so many oxymorons in there and... It's oxymoronic. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I have a, a couple of news issues that I want to bring up. Yes, Dun, 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 dun. Here is Karen Hartglass in the news. And once we finish with the news, we'll get back to lighter subjects, subjects that bring light and joy to your life. Just stay tuned, okay? This is not this is not a dark podcast. Whew. Okay, I was reading Newsday, which is a Long Island newspaper. Yes. And I read a lot of different newspapers to get different perspectives on things. But I was struck by a headline, and it was this. Michael Geiner, chef owner of Lola Restaurant in Great Neck, dead at 59. Dead at 59. And my condolences to this person's family and friends and colleagues. I'm sure it was a shock and full of sadness. But as I read the obituary, and I saw that this person was a chef, had this fine dining restaurant, this person was born to Israeli expatriates. So he had an influence from Israel, and his restaurants reflected the Israeli cuisine, the Middle Eastern cuisine. Why am I bringing up this person? As I read into the obituary, I realized he was the co-founder of a company in upstate New York, in the Hudson Valley, that made foie gras. And then that led me to a couple of other things, because I remembered back in 2019 that the New York City Council voted to ban foie gras in all of the New York City restaurants. That was big, big news, big news. Big news. Especially in vegan circles. And then I thought, hmm, now, I don't know why this person died at such an early age of a heart attack. Nobody does, unless you are that person or the person's doctor or the person's family. But I, I can hear all of my listeners shouting and guessing what was a probable cause. We don't know. But we do know that one of the major causes of heart disease and most chronic diseases is the consumption of animal food, saturated fat, numerous other things, too also, much protein. We also know that heart bypasses are a big business in lots of hospitals. So that's why the message isn't getting out there. And again, that's why real responsible eating and living is getting you this message. And that led me to more because this company, Hudson Valley Foie Gras, that Michael Geiner was a co-founder of, is one of the major suppliers of foie gras. And they, along with La Belle Farm in Sullivan County, were devastated by this potential ban that was supposed to take place in November last month. The ban was supposed to take place in November of this year. And what happened? And I didn't even realize any of this was happening, but the ban is not going into effect. 
A New York State Supreme Court judge recently issued an injunction regarding this ban based on a suit from La Belle Farm and Hudson Valley Foie Gras. They sued over this ban, and they were basically saying that it would harm their businesses, obviously, and that they employ a lot of people, and that it wasn't really fair, and that it wasn't really true, blah, 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 blah. So all of these thoughts, I read about this obituary that leads me to foie gras that reminded me of this ban that was supposed to take place last month and didn't. Right. And so what are they saying isn't true? Are they saying that the treatment of the animal isn't true? Because that's what animal rights activists are complaining about is that these animals are force fed. Their livers are are stuffed beyond capacity. They can't even move around, and then they're killed and their livers are taken. What they're saying is that there are farmers who made their living selling foie gras, they're citing economic hardship, and they said that the city council, the New York City Council, exceeded its authority because the law affects farming practices outside of the city. Now, meanwhile, the activists, the animal activists object to what happens to make foie gras. And I'm sure all of you know what happens to make foie gras. Ducks and geese are force-fed to engorge their livers. It's usually over a 20-day regimen where a tube is shoved down their throat and they are, and the food is just rush-jammed into their bodies. And I will never forget talking to a Frenchman in the 90s who loved all the traditional French foods and foie gras. Is definitely one of them because the word foie gras is French. It means liver fat. And he truly believed that the animals enjoyed this process because they would all rush to be fed. I mean, I can make plenty of similarities, but if you're a tortured, hungry slave and all of a sudden they're putting the food out and you run to the food, that doesn't mean that you're happy with your conditions. It just means you're starving. So here we are. And what's frustrating to me is that This wonderful thing happened. This law was passed, and now we're in this fight, and it may possibly be turned around. I'm not really sure. But I just want to say one more thing about about foie gras, Gary, and I would appreciate your insight on this. Foie gras is not served in fast food restaurants. No. You don't see foie gras served in most restaurants. You don't see it for sale in in expensive groceries. It's a luxury product. Right. It's a luxury product. It's expensive, and it is revered by the very privileged who can sit and enjoy it. And that begs the question, mm-hmm. what is it about the human psyche for those that are extremely privileged to enjoy a product that was produced violently with so much cruelty. Yeah, it's a great metaphor for why we eat meat anyway. Used to be a luxury item, having meat. Not just foie gras, but all meat. It used to be. But still, now that we're making it more affordable, everybody can't get enough of it. Right. And so, again, it, I think, reflects prosperity. I think it reflects people feeling like they really are enjoying life when they have a nice slab of foie gras before their big steak meal. 
and it all has to do with image. Hubert. And do you think they're not really thinking about how it got to their plate, or maybe right. subtly they're enjoying that something had to suffer for them to enjoy something? I don't think they're connecting the dots. As I've mentioned many times on this program before, we're sort of here to shed some light on the dots, connecting the dots, and starting simply by understanding how your food gets where it gets and what it has to go through to get there. And the people that have had to suffer along with the animals when they were producing this food. It's really a simple podcast. It's not, it's not so, so complex. What we're trying to do is some of the work that we do, we succeed. Some of the work we do, we don't. But we're trying to, to shed some light on what all of this means to the folks and the animals involved in its production. What's really important about this band, which is in New York City only, it's a band by the New York City Council. This is not the United States of America. This is New York City. What's important about it is New York City and parts of California are the biggest purchasers of foie gras. So California already banned foie gras. And when New York City bans it, that is a devastating economic blow to the companies like Hudson Valley Foie Gras that produce this product. And that's why they're fighting so, so intensely. I just want to mention the places where Foie Gras is currently banned. The first country to ban importing Foie Gras was India in 2014. And then other countries that have bans are Australia, Argentina, and Israel. Interestingly, Michael Geiner, the co-founder of Hudson Valley Foie Gras, was born of Israeli expatriates, and Israel now bans Foie Gras. In Brazil, also the production and sale of Foie Gras was made illegal in Sao Paulo restaurants, although, unfortunately, this law was recently overturned. And then we have different laws from state to state. The city of Chicago also put a ban on this product. And now we have the ban kind of up in the air in New York City. And in Europe, foie gras production is prohibited in the Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg, Norway, Poland, Turkey, and the UK. But not France. Mais non. Right. <laughs> and then interesting, some retailers also have taken a stand and stopped selling foie gras and you'd be surprised to hear who's on that list, Gary. Amazon and some other suppliers that I'm not familiar with. Waitrose, Sainsbury, Little, House of Fraser, and Harvey Nichols. You know, I can't answer why people are still drawn to foie gras. I do know that if you put a parent advisory label on a CD or on music, if you tell people that something about this is controversial. It piques the curiosity of the listener as far as music is concerned. Oh, you mean they want it more. They want it more. And they know that they... The uh, forbidden fruit. It's the forbidden fruit theory. Right? <laughs> I don't think they're consciously aware, or maybe they are, of the suffering that goes into producing this product for them. As a former meat eater, someone who has eaten meat without really... Connecting the dots, I empathize with those folks who still live in the dark about how their food gets to them 
and what it goes through. It may taste good, but so does noie gras. Oh, hello. And we have our favorite vegan chopped liver, which is another pate, right. another and there are based many, on liver. There are many products that we can recommend that if you like the taste of chopped liver or pates, there are many vegetable pates that have a similar taste. And that's why there's another debate going on about things like cell meat, because the folks that are behind those products theoretically want to end the suffering as well. So there's pros and cons. And what we're here to do is just ask questions about why we think folks want these kinds of things in their lives. I have an answer. My answer is it's a distraction. And while you're doing it, if there's an image attached to it, you feel like the image that is attached to the product that you're eating. Champagne, for example, it has an image attached to it. Mm, of luxury, elegance. Now, I will also say that foie gras was something that was invented from peasant farmers who were trying to get the most out of their livestock that they were slaughtering. So they used every single part. They even used the liver. Mm -hmm. And because the animals on their farms were fed a rich diet of corn and things of that nature, they naturally had these plump, juicy livers. They didn't have to force feed them. But then somebody said, hey, what if we give them more? We'll get a bigger liver and we'll get more of this delicious treat. And so it wasn't really attached to a lifestyle of the rich and famous. It was attached to peasant farmers. And then from that point, people made money off of selling these livers. Yeah, the history of food is fascinating. Right. And yeah. what what simple foods become right. the, the coveted foods. Bistro fair in you know in France was the, the, the fair of the, the farm to table restaurant that's now all the rage with the rich and famous. But I mean you pull the vegetables off of your little vegetable garden, you prepare them and you sell them to your neighbors and that, that was bistro cooking. You slaughter Well one. that's that's because we've gotten to this place of industrial farming where most of our food today is grown on these giant farms and they're not grown with care or with love or with nutrients and they tend to be grown with toxic poisons. The idea of going back and growing carefully on a small farm and having more quality flavor it's more expensive now because the rules and regulations are all right. distorted and twisted and and the the privileged are taking advantage of that. Yeah, whoever thought that going to Crazy. a rest, going to a restaurant where their food is raised with pesticides and herbicides would be less expensive than going to a restaurant where you're getting food that's been raised naturally and organically. And that's what we're facing. It's surreal, with. as you mentioned in the beginning. Yeah. And so when you give people the truth, when you give people real things to think about, that's where this program comes in. What we've been doing all along is we've been trying to give folks the reality of what's actually happening. And it's sort of like this podcast is the church lady podcast, <laughs> right? Responsible eating and living. I mean, we're not going to appeal to everybody. Because people are trying to live their life and enjoy it and celebrate each day that they can because life is hard, life is difficult, and the things that they think are going to bring them joy are the things that we're telling you not to eat. 
And so there's the dichotomy there. It's not that we're trying to be the bummer or the downer. <laughs> we're trying to offer alternatives to suffering and pain. And these animals suffer and the planet suffers and we suffer in the long run. We suffer because we are health like that chef who, who just passed away. He obviously suffered from, from something and we don't know what he suffered from, but at 59 years old, he's no longer with us. Yes. Again, condolences to the family and friends and colleagues. And I want to leave this subject of foie gras. And I just hope that this Supreme Court lawsuit in New York will support the ban rather than turn it over. It was supported by most of the New York City Council. Well, there's another ban that we've talked about on this program before that we haven't heard much about and wondering where that is. I, I mean, this is the holiday season for all of you who are visiting New York. One of the things you're going to want to do perhaps is go to Central Park and you'll see the horse-drawn carriages mm. and there's lots of debate that's ongoing about that. So let's hope that it doesn't end up like that debate because that's an endless debate and we're not quite sure where that one's going. Well, this is another argument against single issue platforms because we're really not going to change the culture by telling people don't buy fur, but we're not going to tell you not to buy eat meat in the same breath. Or don't buy foie gras, but it's okay to have your chicken wings. We're not saying that. But these single issues don't go, don't hit the, the philosophy, don't hit the real morality issue. That we should not be torturing and killing other sentient beings for our own personal pleasure. Right. And that's the simple message that we always have to get back down to. That's what's underneath responsible eating and living. It's that simple message that Karen so eloquently just stated. There's a lot of pain and suffering going on in the production of food. And that includes humans. Human pain and suffering. That's what I just said. Mm -hmm. Takes a little longer, but humans eventually suffer and go through pain because of thinking that they deserve these rich, exotic foods like foie gras. But we all know, again, that there are other, there are alternatives, and that's what we're here to talk about as well. Noir gras is a nut-based liver substitute that's delicious. There are so many different brands now, and we were in Europe and we tried a few. There's foie gras. There's so many different pl nice plays on the name foie gras, any kind of pate, and, and if you, you can if, make it rich and fatty or not. If you want a great recipe, we'll post one. We'll post a few. I think we have a few at Responsible Eating right. and Living. It's the time of year for pâté. It is indeed. And champagne and celebrating. And you can do it without having something suffer. Absolutely. That's why we're here over and over with all the recipes that we make. My second news item is about China. China as in it's about the country. The of country, China. okay, because we were just talking about <laughs> celebrations. Not and fine China. Some folks may want to break out their fine China, <laughs> which brings up a whole nother debate oh, about please. Yeah. what pattern to use this time of year. <laughs> and we could talk about that at some other time. Who remembers it was a little over six years ago? A little over six years ago, there was a great news headline China's plan to cut. Meat consumption by 
And we were all excited. All the climate change activists were so happy and they were putting out new dietary guidelines to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 1 billion tons by 2030. And they also recognized that it would lessen the country's problems with obesity and diabetes. At that point in time, China was consuming 20, 28% of the world's meat and half of it was pork. Perhaps you remember Arnold Schwarzenegger was behind the campaign as the face behind China, encouraging people to consume less animal flesh and help the environment. Boy, that was great news. And just like the ban on foie gras in New York City, with a lawsuit that just came out and over potentially is going to overturn this ban, in China, this direction, I don't know what happened to it, because here we are six years later, and what do we see going on in that country? I just read a headline, perhaps you saw it too. This is so surreal. Surreal. <laughs> so surreal. There is a project in China to create a 26-story, I'm going to call it a 26-story pig-torturing... High-rise. High-rise. Yeah, something like that. Die-rise. <laughs> That's good, Gary. Die-rise. 26-story pig skyscraper ready to slaughter 1 million pigs a year. And China approved this project, and China is the same country that put out six years ago a plan to reduce China's meat consumption. So now they're building skyscrapers to house animals to be slaughtered. 26 stories. This is, this is very okay, this surreal. this is insane. And again, I opened by saying we live in surreality. We don't live in reality. And this is, this is surrealism. You can't even make this stuff up. No, right? You can't make this stuff up. The company that's building this place they're a cement company, and they were looking to diversify. They had some other projects they wanted to come up with, but they settled on this pig farm where they could use their own construction materials, cement, and they saw it as modern agriculture and a very promising sector. And the people that are promoting it, they're saying that it'll be more environmentally friendly. They're saying that from... A hygiene point of view, there'll be less chance for viruses because very frequently there are these outbreaks and livestock producers have to kill off their entire s supply because all the animals are infected with some kind of illness. And yet those that are against this particular project are saying there's no evidence behind any of that. And in this enclosed system, if... A virus gets in. Gosh. It'll affect 26 stories. Now, here's, yeah. here's something even creepier. This is very, Are you ready for this, yeah. Gary? This, you don't know this. I just, I just found this. So, I'm reading from an article. The company says waste from the pigs will be treated and used to generate biogas, which can be used for power generation and heating water inside the farm. Okay, Karen's commentary. That's lovely. I continue reading. This is the chilling part. Workers will be required to go through multiple rounds of disinfe 
of disinfection and testing before being given clearance to enter and won't be able to leave the site until their next break reportedly once a week. Wow. The workers are in the building with no break to leave the building for an entire week. Upton Sinclair couldn't even think of that when he wrote The Jungle. That's like 1984. That's... What is... That kind of dystopia is just... Well, mind-boggling. It was outlined in, in Sinclair's The Jungle, which was a novel about the harsh conditions and exploited lives of immigrants in the United States. This can't even... This is just beyond that. This is... This is incredible. This is dystopian... <laughs> a dystopian nightmare. It is indeed. Poor animals, poor people. Poor Gee. animals and poor people. Because, of course, the people that would create such a horrific design that is going to exploit and torture so many animals won't think twice about exploiting humans that are going to work inside of this facility. Well, it's, it's all happening in that one facility. That's incredible. And this is actually going to probably... There's probably going to be another one being built right after this because it'll probably prove to be very economically and a success. Until it isn't. Because in the article, there is one expert, Dirk Pfeiffer, chair professor at One Health at City University of Hong Kong, says... The higher the density of animals, the higher the risk of infectious pathogen spread and amplif amplification, as well as potential for mutation. And this is all because people want to eat bacon. Well, pork is the favorite meat of choice in China. So, so much for reducing meat consumption in China by 2030. We're going to have a 26-story pig slaughterhouse factory. Oof. Now, I mean, what that... do you want to do about this? I don't know how to stop this. There is a petition you can sign on the Care2 website. I can include a link on this post. I don't know where that's going to go, but it's all part of a bigger picture. And it's easy to point the picture on another country saying, look what they're doing. But we can also point the finger at our own country for torturing animals and people. Well, we're, in many ways. We have quite a few factory farms in this country that produce a lot of disease. You know, we have no idea what's going on in a lot of those slaughterhouses. When you and I took a drive through, was it North Carolina? We saw all of the pig sheds. Oh, definitely. Big pig producer in North yeah. Carolina. Absolutely. And we're, I remember driving through those areas and, and you sensed the death that was mm. in the air, and it was frightening. Let me just give you some numbers. What's happened in the last 40 years in China with respect to meat consumption? 1982, the average Chinese person ate just 13 kilograms of meat a year, and beef was nicknamed millionaire's meat due to its scarcity. Okay, there's that other connection right. to... It's the connections. Luxury. And then, as China became a global economic power... Again, keyword, economic power. Yeah. This is all about commerce. Economic power, not an environmentally sustainable power. The average Chinese person now eats 63 kilograms of meat a year, up from a mere ugh, 
up from a mere 13 kilograms 40 years ago. Now, 63 kilograms. From 13 kilograms, you said yes. it started at 13 kilograms? Yes. So that's 28 pounds. Okay. And, and, now, then, and then 63 kilograms. And now it's up to 63 kilograms, which is 138 pounds. So from 28 pounds to 138 pounds. Wow. It's expected to add another 30 kilograms per person of meat by 2030. That's 93 kilograms. Okay, let's do the math here. 93 kilograms, that's 205 pounds per person. Whoa! And that's if nothing is done to disrupt this trend. And when you read about a 26-story pig slaughterhouse, you don't see the trend going in the right direction. So there was a great book that came out called The China Study that a friend of yours wrote a long time ago. Mm. When your friend wrote that book... The Chinese overall were eating very little meat. And what was interesting about that book is that they had a very uniform population. The Chinese was relatively uniform compared to the rest of the world. And in each village, they were all living and eating differently. So there were some villages where they were eating more animal products and some villages where they were less. But the average overall was significantly less than what we were eating here in the United States. And now, unfortunately, they are looking more like us. And this book was originally written as a health study. Yes, definitely. And now we also see the impact environmentally of growing so many animals to feed people. And of course, we know that the author of that book yeah. is T. Colin Campbell. Speaking of which, the I like to consider some of the families in our vegan alternative health, whole food, plant-based world as royalty. And there's a number of families where the generations are continuing to do great work and be activists. And Dr. T. Colin Campbell's family is no exception. And his son, Dr. Thomas Campbell, is a wonderful medical doctor and author, and I've had numerous other family members on the show, and in a few weeks we'll have Kim and Nelson Campbell, and they're going to be talking about a film they they just recently were involved with, showing how you could overturn diabetes in like 10 days. Is that amazing? Stay tuned. This is exciting, and this is why I tune in to Responsible Eating and Living's It's All About Food with Karen Hartglass every week. And we hope you do too. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So those were the two news items. The two big news items. (laughs) This has been a Responsible Eating and Living broadcast. Wow. What else is on your list today? Oh goodness. You know, I just want to mention that while... China loves their pork and they seem to be growing more. There are companies that are making pork substitutes. There's the Hong Kong-based Right Treat company. They are the first to produce a pork substitute, Omni Pork and Omni Mints, which uses a blend of pea, soy, and shiitake mushroom and rice protein to replicate pork. And I support this product. You have to know, you've heard me say this a million times, my goal is to get everybody to take the straight line, the most direct path to eating the most healthy, the most delicious, the most environmentally sustainable, and the most cruelty-free diet for humans, which is a whole food, plant-based diet. I don't really like 
to support processed foods. But if the processed food is made from plants and not necessarily over-scientifically processed, like in a laboratory with cells that came from animals, but really plant-based, it's an it's a far better product than a product that comes from animals. And the Omni Pork and Omni Mince products are those kinds of products. And one of our pl- favorite places to go to when we were into plant-based meats was Maywa, which mm. is here in New York City. So if you're looking for meat substitutes, analogs, some folks call them meat analogs, check out Maywa. If you are in the New York area, I'm, I'm thinking it might still be around. Yeah, I just checked and it's called Lily's Vegan Pantry. Maywa is now Lily's Vegan Pantry. The website is liliesveganpantry.com. And even though there's a store in New York, you can get these products shipped to you wherever you are. I'm looking at their website, and they have a lot of frozen products. Vegan poultry, vegan beef, vegan pork, vegan lamb, vegan seafood, vegan dim sum, vegan desserts. I recommend going to their website and checking it out. It's just fun to see what they have. Okay, so here we go. Those were our two news items for for the program today. Now can we... Can we spin this? (laughs) In a positive way. In a positive way. Gary, you were talking about distraction. And what is life? Why are we here? What's the point? Mm. I can't say that I have the answers. There are some people that will tell you they have the answers. Sure. But my own personal philosophy is I want to live a joyful, happy life as much as possible, and I want to prevent the suffering of other living beings as much as I can, if possible. And if I do cause any suffering, I want to acknowledge that and apologize for it. Well, I think the suffering that you would cause would be to people who don't want to be told they need to change how they live. They don't want to be told that that your way is better than theirs. Everybody has their own story. Everybody wants to be praised for their own story. We all wake up and no one says, as we become an adult, good for you, you got out of bed this morning, hooray. (laughs) What we are sort of praised for is after we are gone, you know, in an obituary, for Mm. example. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so... So what a lot of folks are doing is they're saying to themselves, and and I'm not a lot of folks, I'm just me, but I can empathize with people who have talked to me about why they do what they do, because I've been on both sides. You became a vegan at a very, well, you became a vegetarian at a very young age, so you were already controversial. But I didn't become controversial till I was later in life. And, And so I had friends on, I have friends now on both sides of that fence. And people don't even want to talk to me about being vegan because they don't want, they don't even want to be tempted to go that way. They don't want to acknowledge what they know deep down. What they know deep down. Yeah. 
but we don't we do, but we don't want to acknowledge what we know deep down about death. We don't want to acknowledge it, so we walk around again. I'll just that's the jam, Gary. That's it in a nutshell. We walk around with this suppressed mortality. We're all in this existential crisis, so we're going to live our lives the way we want to live our lives stubbornly. And you certainly live your life stubbornly. Mm. And so your way to you makes sense because it's the truth. Things shouldn't have to suffer to feed you. Things should not have to suffer to clothe you. Things should not have to suffer for your lifestyle. Other, You should do no harm when you're on this planet. You should leave a footprint that's only big enough for you. And yet there are a lot of people who leave these massive footprints, a huge wake of destruction. Damage, cruelty, and they're going to grab violence, and exploitation. As much as they can. And if you don't want to be if you don't want to play along with that, well, that's fine. We're going to leave you in your little tiny podcast world where <laughs> you have your few little listeners and they're going to go on and have their five million Instagram followers and they're going to be promoting wearing whatever they want to wear and eat whatever they want to eat and live their life however they want to live their life because they feel that they are entitled to it. When someone comes along and says, really, we should all just kind of love each other, that harkens back to the days of you know, putting daisies in <laughs> soldiers' rifles. I mean, mm. You're just this old tree-hugging hippie, Karen. And, I guess so. <laughs> and, you know, you want the world to, you want the world to love and you want the world, everybody to be happy. And there's going to be folks out there far more than you that are going to say, hey, go hug your little tree, little one. I'm going to go ahead and eat my foie gras. So why is that? The reason is, is because we're suppressing this inevitable, which is we're all going to be. We're all going to die. You can't get out of this world alive. Can't get out of this world alive. And some people will tell you that you can. And those are the folks that have the 50 million followers on Instagram. <laughs> and Everybody you, wants to know what their secret is. And tell you that uh, we, have a, we have a way for you to... It's, it's going back to the days of snake oil salespersons and uh, putting ink and piss in a bottle and saying it'll grow your hair back. Wasn't that from Sweeney Todd? Right. Well, the best that we can do, what we do at Responsible Eating and Living, is to live... According to our philosophy, which is to do no harm, to live gently on this planet, to live compassionately on this planet, and to do it deliciously. So we've got holidays coming up. And Gary, you and I, we love the holidays. We do. We don't believe in any of the... Holly. (laughs) The holly part of holidays. We don't believe in the holly, (laughs) but we believe in the days. And you could spell that D-A-Z-E. And so I think it's a great time for everybody to just kind of enjoy the light, enjoy the lights that are going on. I mean, I walk down the street now and I see all of the holiday lights and I have a different feeling about them. I don't have that. It's a wonderful life feeling where we feel like there's going to be this wonderful world beyond where angels come down and talk to us, talk us out of jumping off of a bridge (laughs) and tell us that the world would be a horrible place without us. I don't believe in that afterlife part about the holidays but i believe in the present life of the holidays and enjoying one another's company because again it's all about love 
that really is the answer. Whether that's a, a hippie philosophy or a guru, yoga, lotus position philosophy, <laughs> I don't really know. But uh, yeah, so that part of the holidays is great. And celebrating it by putting a fabulous spread of food on your table that didn't really suffer to get there. Maybe the only person that suffered to put it there was the person doing all of the cooking or the person that was picking all of the vegetables, which is what we talk a lot about on this program as well, is those folks that do all of this work for us, who pick the vegetables, who, who have to raise their families. But we need to also think about them. So it is a time of, of giving thanks. It's a time of celebration, not only celebrating our lives, as a family, but the lives of the folks that brought the food to us. And, you know, sometimes the stories behind the holidays have meaning that you can bring to current time. For example, Hanukkah is coming around and I am not a religious Jew. I was raised Jewish. I don't follow any of it. I do like holidays and I do like holiday foods and I like stories. And the story behind Hanukkah had to do with the Jews once again being persecuted and there were being there was a battle. There was very little oil left to light the lamp, and the oil lasted for eight days. And as a result, we celebrate by putting a, this candelabra out that holds nine candles, and we light them eight days plus an extra candle, which is the leader. And it's a lovely little story. And we created our oil-free potato pancake recipe because a number of very oily foods, fried foods are served to celebrate this holiday because we want to connect the oil of the lamp and put it in our foods, which is really crazy because the oil isn't healthy for us to eat. It's nice to have it to light a candle, (laughs) but we don't need to eat it. And why we want to celebrate with foods that are only going to hurt us and make us sick doesn't make any sense to me, but that's part of the surreality well, that's part of what planet. it means to be stubborn about something like a tradition. But I like to keep the tradition. So we made this wonderful potato pancake recipe, which I love, and we're going to make again. And it has no oil in it, or you could add a little, but not a lot. They're not fried. They're baked. But also, it's good to remember these stories, because unfortunately, anti-Semitism is still here oh. and is making news. Absolutely. And uh, it's chilling. But that's the planet we live on. People will continue to exploit other people. People will continue to be racist and homophobic and sexist and and choose the communities that they prefer and exploit the ones that they don't. Stubbornly with 50 million Instagram followers. So, yeah, you are up against the human condition. Yes. Anyway, so we're going to acknowledge the stories and celebrate with beautiful foods that nourish rather than harm. And then we've got some great cookies right? and treats. One of my favorites is a treat that I never had until I met you, Gary. You kept talking about these traditional cookies, and one of them was the kuchadari. The kuchadari. Oh. So I got the traditional recipe that your sister wrote down from... An ancient family recipe from her husband's mother. Look at that. And I veganized it. And, and I love did. it. And it's delicious. And you're going to make them again. Of course. That's what's really fun about the holiday seasons is sharing all of these 
family traditions. And if you're vegan, veganizing them. And we've had a lot of fun doing that over the years. One of the family traditions from my side of the religious spectrum is I was raised Catholic and I'm from Italian background, Italian ancestry. And we had the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And I veganized it to the Feast of the Seven, Feast of the Seven Dishes. And so that's on our website. And that's the huge feast at, at Christmas Eve when they've laid out seven dishes of different fish dishes because on Christmas Eve, you aren't supposed to eat meat in the Catholic religion for <laughs> Why some is reason. That, but you Gary? can eat fish, which is meat. <laughs> so go talk to me about that. But it's meat from the sea. And so I guess it's different from meat on the land. At any rate, we veganized it. And I have the Feast of the Seven Dishes. Or it could be the Feast of the Thirteen Dishes or the Feast of the Fourteen Dishes. We just experienced the Feast of the Six or Seven Dishes when we went to Italy. And my cousin Vittorio Di Matei set up a wonderful lunch for us at a agro-tourism Wonderful little farmhouse up in the hills of Santa Maria di Maisana, and it was wonderful. And we we're, we blogged about that on our website, so check that out. I think it was like day five or six, or I don't remember, but it was fun. Anyway, so we'll put that up, but you can have your own feast of the seven dishes and put out all of your family's favorite traditional recipes. And if you want some help veganizing them, let us know. Well, we love to do that. Yeah. We love to take traditional recipes and make them vegan. And I never stop because there is no such thing as a perfect vegan. There is no such thing as the healthiest way to eat. And we keep learning. And as a result, I keep adjusting. And I keep trying to make my recipes as healthy and as whole food based as possible, but also taste yummy. Yes. I have one more thing, maybe one more thing, before we close out. I started this program talking about this podcast. It's all about food, which started in 2009 when podcasts were in their infancy. And this was one of the first vegan podcasts. And now there are so many. I recently learned from our trip to Europe that there aren't a whole lot of podcasts on veganism in France. And I am so excited. I mentioned this once before or twice before, but the first week of January, we are going to launch, me and a colleague in France, a new vegan podcast in French. It's called Parlons Peu, Parlons Bien, Parlons Vegan, which means loosely translated, let's talk a little, let's talk well, let's talk vegan. That's great. It's a it's a traditional expression that we've kind of expanded on, and I can't wait to get started. I'll certainly let any of you know about it who might be able to share with the francophones out there, but I think it's really important. Veganism is growing everywhere, and this is something where the United States and the United Kingdom have led the way with lots of cookbooks and medical information. There's lots of information in English. There isn't as much in, in other languages. And I just want to be a part of this is very exciting. filling that need. Very exciting. And so anybody that has friends who speak French and want to listen to Karen in a different language, 
this is the podcast for you. Voila. Yeah, so I'm going to end saying that it's all about food. has been around since 2009. Produced by Responsible Eating and Living. Just a brief mention again that we are in our fundraising campaign and we welcome your support. Reach out to us at responsibleeatingandliving.com. Send us an email at info at realmeals.org. And thank you. Thank you, Karen, for being here all of those years. Thank you, Gary. Everybody, have have a a delicious delicious week. week.